A reading from the book of Genesis. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the true fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig, fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The word of the Lord. So chapter two, right? Chapter two, is that coming through? Check, check. There we go. So chapter two is the fall, right? It's the brokenness that we all struggle with. And in the story, what it does is it makes hum humanity hide from God, fear God in like an un unhealthy way. Now, usually we're um, in, in church, this is where the preacher stands up and, and says, you know, y'all are a bunch of dirty, rotten sinners and deserve eternal damnation, right? I don't know why I do that in a Southern accent, but I always do every time I say that. Um, but this is actually a pretty bad distortion of the story of, of God. And it, it really misses, I think, a human complexity that we all sort of get. I mean, if you think about the people that you love, the people closest to you, um, do you really think of them as like evil and deserving of eternal damnation? And I suppose some people are evil, but most of us are just really fragile, you know, and broken. And I'm um, just kind of scared sometimes and lonely and trying our best, but just constantly coming up short, right? And um, even the worst people, if you dig into like people you cannot stand or you despise, if you dig into their lives, they love somebody somewhere, at least try to. That's why I, I always hate it when people try to humanize like my enemies and show them like loving their children or playing with puppies or something. I was like, don't do that. Like, how am I going to despise them after you've made me think of them as human beings, right? Um, there's this great uh, Russian novelist, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He, he wrote this famous line about this, a paragraph. He says, if, if only if it were all so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But then he says, here's the, here's the kicker. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? The story of what went wrong in creation isn't about like, it's not like a Marvel movie. It's not a supervillain's fault or like an evil character. It's just about us, all of us. 
the line between good and evil, like the way I say it is, it doesn't pass between people or groups of people. It passes through people, through every one of us and every group that we form and every system that we create. The brokenness in the world is not out there somewhere. It's, it's in here and in our systems and our, our groups. And it makes us a little nutty sometimes, you know, just we end up crashing into each other and stumbling around and making a mess of the world instead of leading it toward peace. You see what I mean? There's this, um, there's a writer you guys may have heard of named Brennan Manning. Anybody heard of Brennan Manning? He, he wrote Ragamuffin Gospel. He's the whole reason we use that, that word. Brennan Manning would write and speak um, so powerfully about the grace and mercy of God. It had a deep effect on me and, and on our church. And yet the whole time he was doing that, he was an alcoholic. And he would have periods of sobriety, but he never really kicked it. It was always this, this struggle for him. He, he wrote this about it. He said, I'm a bundle of paradoxes. I believe and I doubt. I hope and get discouraged. I love and hate. I am trusting and suspicious. I am honest and still play games. Aristotle said, I am a rational animal. I say I'm an angel with an incredible capacity for beer. That's me. And this is, this is the human condition. It may, may not be beer for you, but it's something, some things. And it's not that we're a bunch of dirty, rotten sinners. It's that we're a bundle of paradoxes and that the line between good and evil runs through all of our hearts. And to learn to tell the truth about this is the beginning of wisdom and the path to redemption. In the rabbinic, like in the Jewish tradition, they have this practice. They say that everyone should take a piece of paper and tear it in half. And on one side, write the words, I'm made of dust and ashes. And then fold it up in their pocket or fold it up and put it in their pocket. And then on the other, um, they should write, I am made of stars and the world was created for me. And then they should fold that one up and put it in their other pocket and keep both of them on them at all times just to remind us that on the one hand, we're really broken. We're made of dust and to dust we will return and we're passing. But on the other hand, um, we're created in the image of God. The psalmist says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's what it means to be human. And sometimes we're a total mess, right? And messing things up. And sometimes we just light up with like the splendor of the stars. And um, this is what it means to be human. We, um, we actually looked around. I made all of staff, like spent a couple of staff meetings trying to find a song um, that we could sing about this reality. And it's a little harder than you might think. Um, most songs either sort of wallow in the brokenness or promise some easy way out of it. And religious songs especially love I mean, we really want a God who, like, like is an ex- escape hatch, you know? And so uh, we, we tried to find a song that can find one because the trick is to learn how to hold that tension. This idea that we're, we're, to be human means we're beautiful and broken, that we're fragile and a little bit, like, full of it sometimes, that we're made of 
dust and stars and that we have to work every day to live in that tension, to hold that tension and learn to tell the truth about it because it's, it's for us. It will help us. We should sing songs about that, um, but we don't. And so I wrote one. I wrote, I just did it myself. And so we're going to play that for you. And this is the first time we've ever done this, so be gracious with us. Um, but this is our best attempt to sing about or to describe this, um, these broken and beautiful lives that we live. We have been stumbling around in the dark, hurting each other because of these broken hearts and fragile and failing and falling apart. And it's the whole wide world, and it's the whole.
Our third reading this morning comes from the book of John. Simon Peter came and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. <clears throat> but Mary stood there weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you crying? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not touch me, because I have not ascended to my Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said, that he had said these things to her. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So... Beautiful and broken, yeah, dust and stars, okay, but then there's still this problem of evil in the world, right? And we bump into it all the time. It's like a creation-level issue that wrecks lives and creates chaos and disorder. Plus, there's just like the power of death. I don't mean like only death at the end of life, though that's big. I mean death all the while when things die that we want to stay alive. I have a, a friend who um, always calls it death and all its friends. And we know these guys, you know, trauma, abuse, war, violence, addiction, depression, disease, infidelity, poverty. I mean, we could just name it for a while. And chapter three is about God's response to the brokenness. And it may not be the response that we want, um, but it's the response that we need. I mean, what we want is for God to magically make all things better anytime we ask, right? Like a cosmic vending machine, order up what you want. But Christianity is not, it's not a way to cheat death or to engineer a perfect life or, or avoid having problems. I mean, Jesus died. It wasn't a trick or something. And God never promises to help us avoid breakage or make us happy all the time, and kind of to embrace that idea really just ends up making us shallow. And so the story of Easter says God doesn't magically fix things. Um, God doesn't run away and hide or punish. That, that um, God's response to the brokenness is to draw close and lead us back toward peace. In the Easter story, there's this, this moment that I, just, I love so much. 
it's this pro- profound moment of solidarity between God and humanity. It happens while Jesus is hanging on the cross. It's when he, when he looks up and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's, I think it's just a, a stunning a stunning move, right? I mean, this is pretty much what we all say when life comes crashing down around us. Like, really, God, you want me to, to believe in you right now while this is, is happening? Are you kidding me? Like, why have you forsaken me? And it's kind of stunning to think about this idea that, that God is with us, even in our doubts about God, about the power and presence of, of God. And God just jumps in there and joins in Christ, joins us in, in that, our brokenness, our pain, our disillusionment, and even our doubts, even doubts about God. And then ultimately joins humanity in death. But Easter isn't about death, right? It's about resurrection and about how God moves through death to new life on the other side. Like the God of Easter morning is the God who draws near to the brokenhearted and lives in solidarity with with us and our, our brokenness and our doubt and even our death and can somehow transform all that stuff into new life and peace. When God raises Christ from the dead, as Bill just read, God is showing the world what God has decided to do with brokenness, what to do about death and all its friends. Easter is God's proclamation that death is not the end of our story. And the weird thing is that just knowing this is true ends up changing the experience of, of all of life. Like it's, it's like if you, if you ever um, taped a sporting event, like you recorded it, I say taped because I'm old, recorded. <laughs> My kids are like, what's taped? Um, uh, record a sporting event and to watch it later, but then you found out the result. And then when you watch the game, you're like surprisingly calm and sober about it. Like, is it only me? Like, I do not want anybody in my church to ever watch a K-State game or Chiefs game with me because you will not want me to be your pastor anymore after that. (laughs) But if I know what's going to happen, I'm like, I'm really calm about the whole thing. It's like that. If we're not afraid of death, we can actually live the way Jesus taught us to live, which is pouring out our lives for one another and for the life of the world because we know there's always more life coming. And that with every little death, we come just a little bit more alive. So we don't have to be afraid of things like, you know, breaking a little bit. Because there are, there are things that need to be broken. Because um, we won't let them, let them go any other way. Usually the things that are killing us. And, and it's this experience of living without any fear of breaking. Just confident that God has us and that um, with, with every death that happens, we'll come out on the other side a little more human as human was meant to be. And with a little more, hopefully, shalom, a little more peace in our life. This is what Christianity is about. Ernest Hemingway said it this way, the world breaks everyone. And afterward, many are strong at the broken places. But those who will not break, it kills this is, this is the, like the good news and the bad news. Avoiding brokenness is not an option to us, right? The world breaks everyone. And to, to try to avoid this almost always involves uh, body count. 
But resurrection means that every little death always is followed by life springing from death. It always reminds me of the Japanese pottery kintsukori. You guys, you know what I'm talking about? It's, it's this stuff. Look at it. The stuff that um, they break the pottery first and then they mend it back together with gold and resin. Kintsukori actually means golden repair. And there's this legend behind it. Um, a powerful shogun like 500 years ago was leading a military campaign far from home. And each morning he would drink tea from this bowl. It was kind of his only comfort. And then one day it broke and he was despondent. So he sent it home to be repaired. And when it came back, it was, um, had these like crude metal staples holding it together and it was leaky and ugly. And he wasn't satisfied with this. So he commissioned this artist to repair it find a more beautiful way to do it. And what the artist did was, was this, was to mix um, pure gold dust with strong resin and carefully piece it back together. And when he did, the, the shogun looked at it and thought, this is more beautiful than it was before. And stronger too, with the broken places. And so what started as like a, a way to fix pottery ended up being this beautiful artistic expression of a deep truth about life that the world breaks everyone but we can be stronger at the broken places and this is what the story of Easter is about it's God's God's presence faithful presence with humanity and this power that won't let us that won't let death be the end of the, the stir, story the final word God in Christ takes um, takes on our brokenness, stands in solidarity with broken humanity, our doubts and our, our disillusionments, and even all the way to death, and then follows it to its logical conclusion, which is death and destruction. And what God does with death is resurrection. And then God proclaims, what I did for Christ, I'll do for you. And, and that's this chapter. That's the story of redemption. It's that for all those who follow Jesus, um, they can experience this reality of resurrection, not like just at the end, although at the end, but, but all along the way, with every little death we die to self and, and each other, um, we'll find life afterward, new life. All those who follow Jesus and like confessing our brokenness and pouring out our lives for one another and seeking first the kingdom and welcoming the, the stranger and loving our enemies, basically all of the Sermon on the Mount. This is how you follow Jesus for the most part. Those who live in the way of Christ will come to know that our brokenness and failures are, are constantly being transformed into this point of contact with the divine as God brings new life and better life. So, Hear now the good news, Redemption Church. You are broken. You're not imagining it. It's real. It's really happening. But God does not run from your brokenness. God will not magically fix you. And, but also God is not just like waiting to pounce on you and punish you just for being human. God wants to meet you. God meets you in the broken places of your life and then says, this is not the end. This doesn't have to be the end. Just keep faithing it, keep following Jesus and pouring out your life. And somehow through God's presence and power, um, our brokenness even can become a, store, a source of strength and beauty in our lives.
God will never stop mending us back together again with gold and resin and making us stronger and more beautiful at the broken places. Bringing us to life with a life so powerful that even death in the end cannot overcome it. That's the story of Easter. So I'm going to invite you to stand now and we're going to sing a song together and just declare um, the good news um, that, that death is not the end of our story. <laughs>